I'm really, really glad you're here tonight because I've, I've felt like I've kind of been alone for the last several weeks, um, probably four to six weeks or so, as I've been mulling this over and reading and studying and, and meditating and praying. And um, I'm, I'm really glad to, to, to continue this journey with you. It's, it's not fun to feel like you're an idolater all by yourself. And so I'm really glad you're here tonight to join me in this journey. I got an email from somebody in our church today that said, in response to how God spoke to him on Sunday, he identified an idol in his life. And, and I can't tell you what that email meant to me because I felt like, man, somebody else is right where I'm at. And I have been reading and studying and meditating and thinking, praying, and God has been working in my heart and uh, that, that means um, that there's some nerve endings that are exposed. There's some raw emotion here. And you may not see a lot of that tonight in everything I say, but I just want you to know that I'm very much in the middle of God working in my heart because of idolatry. And... Uh, I just pray that tonight would serve as an invitation to you to step into that grace that way. If you'd ask me several months ago, how am I doing with the idolatry in my life? I've been like, well, I don't know. I don't even think about it like that. And, and, I, and I don't. As I was studying for the Advent series in 1 John and I was reading 1 John and spending time just getting saturated with that letter there, the last verse in that letter just really intrigued me. John ends that letter by saying, little children, guard yourselves from idols. I kept thinking to myself, I don't really do that. I mean, I don't consciously think I've got to have my guard up against idols in my life. It's just not the way that I have been thinking about my spiritual life. And that kind of concerned me because when I read the command, guard yourself from idols, I thought, well, that was nice and hope they did that, you know, if they had a problem with that. Then I realized he's not talking about idols of wood and stone that they've set up and kneeling before. He's talking about something else entirely. I began to think and wonder Should I be approaching my spiritual life with the question, am I guarding myself from idolatry? And so I just began to to read all of the scriptures that dealt with idolatry and just try to get saturated in this. And I began to see that, that this concept of idolatry is from the first book of the Bible to the last book of the Bible and everywhere in between. The idea of idolatry, the actual practice of idol worship, the influence of idolatry is a thread throughout all of Scripture. And there seems to be this admonishment from beginning to end 
to make sure that we are not idol worshipers, but to make sure we instead worship God and God alone. And God has set forth a plan of redemption. And this plan of redemption and salvation through Jesus Christ for His glory is a plan that is meant to cause us to trust in Him alone, to worship Him alone, and to rid ourselves of every substitute for God that we might temporarily cling to. And so, here I am on this journey, and again, I'm so grateful that you're joining with me. I think history and our own human nature show us that our tendency is not to be very receptive to the indictment that we are worshiping idols. That just doesn't sound very nice, does it? There's a, there's a preacher in the 17th century, his name is David Clarkson, and he's quoted in a book by Tim Keller called Counterfeit Gods, a very helpful book, one of two books that I read in preparation for this. The other book that uh, I would recommend is We Become What We Worship by G.K. Beale. Both those books are really helpful. Anyway, Keller quotes this preacher and he says, Though few will ever own it, nothing is more common than idolatry. If we think of our soul as a house, idols are set up in every single room. We prefer our own wisdom to God's wisdom, our own desires to God's will, our own reputation to God's honor. The human heart is is indeed a factory that mass-produces idols. And knowing my own tendency and assuming that you're not much different than me, I think it's wise for us to, at the beginning of this series, just go ahead and, and, and say and try to cling to the reality that there's a good chance that there are idols in my life that God wants to deal with. And so instead of assuming that someone else needs to hear this more than me or I'm not sure this really applies to me, I think it's better that we all make the assumption that this subject is something we all need desperately. And you just decide tonight that I'm just going to join in the journey of letting God expose the idolatry of my heart. Because He's good. And He loves us. And He is worthy of our worship. Okay, I want to try to create a foundation for us. Just give us a framework to think about this, a biblical framework so that we can begin to process this over the next five months. So you're going to hear some stuff tonight. I encourage you to take notes. I'll slow down in areas where I think you need to write things down. And, and I want you to spend the next four weeks just letting this kind of settle on your heart, giving God Ample opportunity to speak to you. 
You need to recognize that the rawness of my heart tonight represents weeks of letting God work in my heart. And so so let God work and take some of this home and let him sift through your heart. So so let me give you a framework by starting out just, just by giving you some thoughts on idolatry. Just four statements that give you some ways to consider what I mean what the Bible means when I say idolatry. It's just four statements. You don't need to necessarily write these down, but just listen. If you want to write them, that's fine, but just listen to these statements, and I think it'll help you have a framework for thinking about what does it mean when we say the word idolatry. All right, here we go. Statement number one, clinging to anything else but God for our ultimate security. Clinging to anything else but God for our ultimate security. Okay, number two, being loyal to anyone or anything else with the loyalty that belongs only to God. Third statement, committing ourselves more to some aspect of creation, some created thing, more than we've committed ourselves to God. And the fourth thing is expecting the good things that God made to supply for us what only God himself can provide. Expecting the good things that God has made to supply something for us that only God himself can provide. I think that gives you four angles on this concept of idolatry. It helps you begin to think about what is idolatry? And, and am I in the middle of this struggle? Now, there are two basic kinds of uh, idols that lead to idolatry. One primary, one secondary. But I want to go through those real quickly with you. So if you'll turn to Genesis chapter 3. We're going we're gonna to cover some ground with a few scriptures tonight, and I hope that you can keep up as I look at these. If, if we get to going too fast at any point, just write down the references and please read them at a later time. Genesis chapter 3, and just read verse 4. Now, this is the story of the fall when Adam and Eve eat the fruit. The serpent comes and questions them about what God said. Presents them an opportunity, they take it. And I want you to notice verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when, when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, Adam leads the way in putting himself in the place only God should be. This this first idol that leads to idolatry is the idol of self. Just the idol of self. And so what Adam does is he puts himself in the place of God. He listens to the serpent and he believes that he can have life without God. You will surely not die. All right, I don't need to have God to have life. 
I can have life just because I can have life. He believes the serpent that uh, he can become like God apart from God. So Adam does not need God. And it's, it's reflecting this idol of self, putting himself in the position of God. When, when you or, or your, yourself becomes the center of your life, when your autonomy, your independence, um, when, when your autonomy brings disregard for God in your life, you just don't think about God, you don't spend time with God, you're just doing your life. Your individual autonomy just causes a disregard for God. When you decide on your own boundaries and you set up your own morality, when you reject the goodness of God for your own path in life, you set up the idol of self. When who God is and and what God says becomes irrelevant in our daily life, we're only left with one option. And that's to be a God unto ourselves. And really, that's the essence of all idolatry in the Bible. The idol of self. All right? Now, let's look at Exodus chapter 20. Flip over to Exodus chapter 20. To the Ten Commandments. And verse 2 says, Exodus 20. Verse 2 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath and the water underneath. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He does not tolerate disloyalty. And this, this passage, I think, makes clear this other idol, the idol of what I'm going to call misrepresentation. The idol of misrepresentation. Well, sometimes what we do is we disguise the idol of self because, again, the idol of self is the essence of all idolatry in the Bible. We disguise the idol of self fashioning another likeness or another image that we worship. And that's why you see in this command in Exodus chapter 20 that we are not to fashion any likeness or anything, any created thing in a way that we worship or serve it as if it were God. The idol of misrepresentation is simply having wrong ideas about God, believing something about God that's not correct about God, thinking God is something that he is not. And, and Adam also displays this sin of idolatry. See, he decided that God's goodness wasn't good enough. He, God told him, don't eat of that tree. And when God says, this is what I want you to do, what he says is good And Adam disregarded what God said was good because Adam determined that God wasn't as good as he said. That what he wanted to do was better. So he's misrepresenting God, and they actually do that in the things that God says. 
when Eve reports on what God has said, she does not say what God said. She's misrepresenting God. So, whether Adam felt like God wasn't being fair, or God was hiding something from him that he deserved, because he no longer believed that God is who he says he is, and what God said is what God intended to say, he eats the fruit because he changed his ideas about God. And now he's acting like God isn't who he said he was. And so Adam's just the beginning of what then unfolds throughout the rest of Scripture. And you see that every idol that's fashioned from wood, from, from metal, from stone, is a misrepresentation of God. And God says, I, I don't want any misrepresentations of me being worshipped and submitted to and served as if it were me. We see this idea fleshed out in 1 John. You know, I mentioned earlier that 1 John 5, 21 says, guard yourself from idols. Well, what idols is John talking about there? Well, one of the things that's happening in 1 John is that John is trying to help the readers understand who Christ is and what's wrong to think about Christ so that they think correctly about Christ. The idol that he's addressing is a misrepresentation of Jesus, wrong thinking about God. So if if you think about those two idols and what that might look like in our lives, let me give you one example to maybe help us think in this direction. Let's think about money and greed, all right? So so when you think about money and greed, is this an idol in my life? How do I know? What, What does this look like? The idol of self, the idol of misrepresentation, if it is centered around money in my life. So, so let me give you some thoughts. When, when we work for money, instead of doing what we do because we're working for God, who is the one who promises to provide for us when we trust Him, then we've misrepresented God, we've put self in a position of an idol. When we, when we think about it like this, when we hate our jobs, but we keep on doing that job because that's the only way we know we can survive because we need the money from that job. See, God's plan is not for any of his followers to hate their work and to do it because they need money. That's idolatry. You've misrepresented God. You've practiced the idol of self. What God's plan is that we work unto Him and therefore enjoy our work as worship, not for money. When we feel uh, less need for God because our physical needs have been met, because we have money and stuff, So so if we have everything we think we need at any given moment, we oftentimes can feel less need for God. Another way you can think about this is when you have great physical need, do you find yourself feeling like you need God more? 
That, that's an indicator that we have misrepresented God and put ourselves in a position of an idol when it comes to money. Because, because the truth, the biblical perspective is that the more money and stuff that we have, the more spiritual need we have. I mean, just, just look at in the scripture, read all the passages that talk about rich people and ask yourself the question, do rich people have a higher spiritual need than people who are poor? And I promise you, you will say, people who have lots of stuff have a greater need for God than people who have less stuff. Are you having fun yet? Lindley asked when I walked in, she goes, well, how do you feel about tonight? And I looked at her like, terrible, you know. It's not going to be fun. Okay, what about this? When we believe that things in our life would be better if we had more money. Like, who hadn't felt like that? See, that's based on a misrepresentation of God. And a belief that we can have life without God. If I think, man, life would be a lot better if I had this or I had more money or I could pay for this. Well, we, we can't have life without God. You see, you see how that fits, this idea of misrepresent, misrepresenting God? Okay, now I could describe a lot of things just like that. And I was tempted to do it. But it'd be really, really... Convicting, and so I didn't do it. And so I'm just going to throw out these thoughts and let you just let them sift on your heart again. Just let these settle, all right? So I could have done this with things like food, physical beauty, health, spirituality. Do you, do you recognize that Wanting to be more spiritual than the next person so you feel like you're actually something is idolatry? Sex. We could spend a whole session on the perversion and immorality that leads to gross idolatry. Doctrinal stances. You ever been around anybody? Maybe you've been this person that is so concerned about their doctrine that you wonder if they even know Jesus. I mean, if, if we're just going to be really honest tonight, we, we in our church have held high the authority of God's word, and I'm all for doing that even more than we do. But if we become about some particular doctrinal stance and we get our value and sense of worth and purpose and meaning from having that position, we're just idolaters. Okay, morality. You know, thinking you have a life just because you're a moral person. If you're finding value in your life spiritually because you have a better morality than your neighbor, it's idolatry. Okay, so let's just really expand this so that we don't leave anybody out, okay? Every good thing in life, not to mention many not-so-good things, can be described under the heading of idolatry, where we misrepresent God and we put ourselves in the place of God. 
Anytime we exalt things in life so that we act like we can have life without God or we act like God and what he says doesn't determine the way things work, we're practicing idolatry. Right now, why is this such a big deal? I don't feel like I need to convince you of this. So that's not what I'm doing. I want to expose you to what God's word says so that you will know what God says about why this is such a big deal. All right, so let's look at several passages together. Let's start with Psalm 115. So look at Psalm 115. We're going to read verses 4 through 8. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them. No comment is necessary. So, uh, let's look at 2 Kings chapter 17. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 12. They served idols concerning which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and ever sayer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments, my statutes, according to all the law which I commanded your fathers, and which I sent to you through my servants, the prophets. However, they did not listen, but stiffened their necks like their fathers. That is an allusion to what happened in Exodus when the people came out of Egypt and they worshipped the golden calf. Again, this is a thread. I mean, you... It's all through Scripture, this concept of idolatry influencing so many things that are written in both Old and New Testament. Okay, however, they did not listen, stiffen their neck like the fathers who did not believe the Lord their God. They rejected his statutes, his covenant which he made with their fathers and his warnings with which he warned them. And they followed vanity and became vain and went after the nations which surrounded them concerning which the Lord had commanded them not to do like them. They, they followed vanity, idolatry, and they became vain. What they decided to worship, they became like. All right, Jeremiah. Flip over to Jeremiah. Get to Psalms. Keep going to the right. Get to Isaiah. It's just one more book over. Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What injustice did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and walked after emptiness and became empty? You drop down to verse 8 and you see the end of verse 8. Walked after things that did not profit. Idolatry, emptiness. You become empty. 
Idolatry, vanity. You become vain. An idol, deaf, mute, can't do anything. Inanimate. You become like that spiritually. Okay, Isaiah chapter 44. Flick back to the last book. Isaiah chapter 44. And let's read verses 14 through 20. Surely he cuts cedars for himself and takes a cypress or an oak and raises it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a fir and the rain makes it grow. Then it becomes something for a man to burn. So he takes one of them, he warms himself, and he makes a fire to bake bread. He also makes a god and worships it. He makes it a graven image and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over this half he eats meat as he roasts a roast and is satisfied. He also warms himself. Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. But the rest of it he makes into a god, his graven image. He falls down before it and worships. He also prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. They do not know, nor do they understand. For he is smeared over their eyes so they cannot see in their hearts so they cannot comprehend. No one recalls, nor is there knowledge or understanding to say, I've burned half of this in the fire and I've also baked baked bread over its coals. I roast meat and I eat it. Then I make the rest of it into an abomination. I fall down before a block of wood. Parentheses, I'm stupid. He feeds on ashes and deceived heart has turned him aside. And he cannot deliver himself nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? He's holding his idol in his right hand as he eats his food with his left that he cooked over the same block of wood he's fashioned an idol from. And he says, this is my God. And he cannot see how stupid that is. Why is this a big deal? Because if we don't guard ourselves against idols, we will lose our way. Because what we worship, we will become like. And if we worship anything that is not God, because it is not God, we will come up empty. And we won't even know it. Until we are empty. Whatever you want more than God, an idol, whatever you want more than God, you you just might get. But if you get it, you will find out that you have become empty because whatever you want more than Him is not Him. And if you look at God's judgment through Scripture, do you know what God's judgment so often is? Letting people have what they want. Because with what they want, with a disregard for God, comes an emptiness that is judgment enough. In one of the books I was reading, There's a story about giving a mouse 
a pellet of food intermittently, sporadically. Every time a mouse pushes a lever, you would give it a pellet of food, but you would do that in a sporadic way. So sometimes they push the lever, they wouldn't get food, sometimes they push it, you give them food, and it would just be totally random. If you do that enough, then the mouse will begin to push the lever even if the mouse is not hungry. What first begins as a response to hunger because of a little bit of reward then becomes a response that is not driven by hunger anymore. If, if you do that enough, what's going to happen is that mouse is going to push the lever with no reward whatsoever until the mouse collapses from exhaustion. That's what will happen. And I think it's an incredible picture that I hope strikes fear, that shocks us. Because the temporary reward of idolatry is at best the exaltation of ourselves and that gives intermittent rewards that will cause us to be lever pushers that lead us right to emptiness. This is a big deal because idolatry leads us to death in every sense of the word. I'm so grateful that God has set in motion a plan for redemption, a plan of rescue to rescue us from idolatry and to redeem us to worship Him. And when we worship God and God alone, we find God who alone is worthy of worship. So here's some questions that I think we need to wrestle with. All right, these are some things I want you to write down. And I'd like you to wrestle with these alone and with a few people in your life. This will not be fun. All right, what do you think most about when you don't have to be thinking about anything? These are questions that just help us identify, God, where are the idols? What's going on in my life that is a disregard for you is a misrepresentation of you, is putting me in the place of you. What's consuming me when you should be consuming? So what do you think about most when you don't have to be thinking about anything? All right, question number two, there's seven of these. Question number two, how do you spend your money? Number three, what does your daily activity tell others that you are really living for? If somebody just watched you live all day long and how you did your day, whatever your occupation is, they watched you and how you did that, what would be their conclusion about what you live for. 
All right, number four. What am I so afraid, what are you so afraid of losing that you would do anything to keep it or control it? What are you afraid of losing that you would do anything to keep? Number five, what brings you the greatest joy or creates the most sadness in your life? In other words, think about your emotions, your strongest emotions that come out in your life. Oftentimes, there will be idols attached to those emotions. So your emotions can be a good place to look. Number six, do you have an excessive self-focus in your life? You have an excessive self-focus in your life. Now again, this is one of those that all of us probably have the tendency to say, no, I don't. Well, that's, that's an indication you have excessive self-focus. <laughs> it's like self-condemning there. So let me give you some thoughts here. Is your life all about you? Do you often talk about others, do not recognize you, do not honor you, mistreat you, do not notice you? Do you feel like you don't get what you deserve, that life is unfair? If those are things you feel or think often, you've got an issue. All right. And then the last one is, am I becoming more and more like Jesus Christ? Am I really becoming more and more like Christ? Now, the truth is that all these questions at some level indict every one of us. And, and so we just need to be a people that say we want to move in the right direction in this struggle with idolatry. And so I want to remind you tonight real quickly about what we talked about on Sunday, about the Jehoiada plan. And I just want to go through that real quickly again and give you a little bit more detail about that. This won't take long. I want you to, to grab hold of this. Um, and bef- before, we, before we get to that plan, I just want to tell you a story in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 21 where, where God's people have rebelled against Moses and the Lord. And the Lord sends fiery serpents into the camp. You may remember this story. Serpents begin to bite some of the Israelites and they die and they freak out and they say, Moses, we've blown it again, you know, and and you're right and we're wrong. Can you please talk to God about these snakes? They're killing us. And uh, so Moses talks to the Lord and the Lord says, I want you to fashion a bronze serpent. I want you to put it up on a staff and tell the people that if they'll look at that serpent, they will not die. I will heal them. So God gives a promise. He talks about who he is and what he wants them to do, and they need to obey him. And if they look at that serpent, they'll be healed. Now, if you're in the camp and and you've been bit by a snake and you were able to look at that serpent and God saved you and healed you, I suspect from that point on, that bronze serpent would be a great reminder in your life of God's deliverance, wouldn't it? I suspect that's exactly what happened because God's people kept that bronze serpent for years and years and years. You get all the way down to King Hezekiah's day. And King Hezekiah is the king over Judah. And he is dealing with gross idolatry among his people. And he goes about destroying the idols that the people have set up in the place of God based upon all kinds of misrepresentations of who God is. You know one of the idols that Hezekiah destroys? The bronze serpent. 
You see, God's people had begun offering sacrifices to the bronze serpent, worshiping it. What, what God had intended to be something that pointed the people to him, the people had turned into an idol and begun to worship. Now, now here's what we need to make sure that we do. There are so many things in this world that God has allowed us and given us to experience, to enjoy, and to have. We need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to ensure that the created things are things that point us to Christ, that remind us of Christ, that point us to redemption, that cause us to want to crave after Christ. They are serving as memorials in our lives, not idols. Everything that God has given us can become an idol. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because the things that God has given us, He gave us with the intention that those very things would point us to Christ, who is our salvation, and would lead us to worship. So, Start with renewal of the covenant. Remember that one? That's the first one, renewal of the covenant. Now, this is how I want you to think about this tonight. You you might need to write this one down and think through this because this is going to jolt some of you. Some of you are going to be maybe even upset with me for saying this. But we need to ask ourselves the question, am I really a Christian? I'm not telling you that because I want a whole lot of people doubting their salvation. Believe me, I don't... I don't want to deal with all of that. However, if we are making assumptions that we are Christians just because we think we are Christians, we're not heeding the Scripture that tells us again and again and again, make sure you are in Christ. Test and see that you are in the Spirit. Make sure that you are sticking with Jesus. Don't let yourself get taken astray. Don't listen to the deceivers. You make sure that you are staying in the truth. I mean, again and again, the Scripture warns us to pay attention to our lives and make sure that we're following Christ. Are are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Have you decided that you're going to follow Christ? And then if you just kind of not followed Him... Have you decided that you're going to follow Christ and you are seeking to abandon your life to Him? Are you really a Christian? If you ask yourself the question, how does the Bible describe a Christian? Are you finding yourself moving in that avenue of a life? Renew the the covenant, the relationship. Making sure you are following Christ. Okay, the second one is deal with your idols. Now, um, I'm, I'm going to try to finish up pretty quickly, but I've got to tell you these things real quick, okay? Deal with your idols. There are three ways the Scripture really tells us to deal with idols. Number one is you flee certain idols. Number two, you um, guard yourself against other idols. And number three, you destroy some idols. Now, you... You've got to, dis- to deal with the idols in the way that's appropriate to be dealt with. So some of them you need to flee. Example of that is flee immorality. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. By the way, that passage is uh, connected to idolatry. Very interesting. So flee, that's one you, you, you need to flee. Guard yourself. 
You need to guard yourself against greed. That's an example of an idol you guard yourself against because we operate in a society that requires money. We cannot destroy money. We should not flee from money. Somebody will take our money. We need to guard ourselves against greed and make sure that we are using what God gives us in a way that points us to Jesus. Another idea on that is your your kids. Kids can become idols. When you live your life for the sake of your kids so they might have a wonderful life at the exclusion of your own following Jesus, like you should, Although they become idols. Well, you don't want to flee your kids. You don't want to destroy them. Even though you may feel like it at times, you don't want to do that. That violates God's parameters. You want to guard against the idolatry of family. All right? And then there are some that you need to destroy. And what I think is a good way to think about that, if, if I can't flee from it and I can't guard against it, and it's not outside the, the parameters of God to destroy it, then I probably should go ahead and destroy it. And I've had friends that have destroyed things in their lives, which means they either literally destroyed it or they just eliminated it from their life because at that period in their life, it was an idol. That didn't mean that that thing would always be an idol, but at that point, it required destruction. And there are times in life when you need to destroy or eliminate certain idols because you cannot, you cannot convert it into a memorial. It's just too much for your heart to handle. You need to get it out. And then the third thing is to saturate your life with God and His Word. If, if, you, if you spend any extended time um, not reading God's Word, failing to be in the church under preaching and with God's people, failing to spend time in prayer, if you, if you spend any extended time doing those things, then you will not be able to remain neutral. If you are not being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ by the Word and His Spirit, then you will choose an idol and you will become like that idol. Empty. Is it... Do you understand why I am constantly making an appeal to you to be in God's Word, to spend time with Him, to be here and function in this body? Because if you don't do that, you will be an idolater, and it will leave you empty. And you'll be a lot more comfortable outside this body of believers than you will be inside this body of believers. And that ought to be a red flag to you. You are worshiping idols instead of God. Okay, then the fourth thing is daily bow to God. Your rightful king, make sure God is on the throne of your life. And, and here's what I really think is encouraging in that idea is, is every day just make sure you're putting God on the throne of your life. In other words, do this every single day. Struggle with this concept of being free from idolatry by guarding yourself, by fleeing from idols, by destroying idols. And saturating your life with Christ. That's just another way to talk about confession and repentance. And you got to do it every day. You know, the title of the series is Free from Idolatry. But if I'm honest with you, we're not free from the struggle with idolatry until Jesus returns. And so, and so here's, here's really the, the thing I want you to think about as we, as we close out our time. We're not going to leave this struggle until Jesus remakes the world that's completely packed with idols. Everything in this world has been an idol. 
everything. So someday, God's going to remake the world. He's going to renew it. And we're not going to be free from this struggle until he remakes our bodies that have been marred by our own idolatry. But someday, we're going to find ourselves in a new earth that has never been used for idolatry. And we're going to be there with a new body that has never tasted sin. And we will worship forever. We're going to be alive like never before. Forever. But until that day, because of who God is, what He has promised, because of our great hope in Jesus Christ, I want us all to strive forward together as worshipers of God and God alone through faith in Jesus Christ. We need to be a people who strive to be free from idolatry. I'm going to pray for us, and then in five minutes in room 105, I'm going to start the Thailand meeting. If you need to talk to me about what I've said tonight, it'll have to be later. There are other pastors, elders here that would be happy to talk with you. All right.